be nerds i'm your host Stephen j and i have a full roster of co-hosts with me today and we are discussing something pretty interesting something that i've been passionate about for years and through this group we've discovered that everybody else kind of has a little bit of a tie to this we are discussing mythology and this is probably going to be a multi-part arc in the episodes so we hope that you enjoy it but without further ado, ado, I want to introduce all of my co-hosts. Uh, Miss Carmen, how are you doing today? Hey, you doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited because we touched on this in a, a previous episode, and now we're front and center with mythology. I'm excited. Yes. I'm excited, too. There's a lot to, to cover. There's a lot of different things that I think any of us can talk about, and we can only be touching the tip of the iceberg. I, exactly. And that's why this might end up being a 30-part series. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> How is your wonderful husband, Bobby? How are you, buddy? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. I'm excited for tonight's show. I think, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of great things that are brought to the table tonight. I could not have said it better myself. Uh, my wonderful cousin, Lizette, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited for this topic. This is, I think, one of my favorites that we've done so far. And I think we have to make this known to the audience. Carmen spoke about a Webtoon series in our last uh, multi-topic. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of fell down the addiction rabbit hole. Oh, I had it completed within about 48 hours after the episode was done i was almost late to work the next day because i was so (laughs) drawn into it i was i probably shouldn't admit this on air but i was actually reading it at work like sneaking into the stock room to read an episode or two and then going back out on the floor and then sneaking back to the office to read more Um, we'll edit that out in post it's fine yeah. We're a judgment-free podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I did that. I actually I purchased um, the copy of what's in print so far, and then I yes. I start. It's gorgeous. I'm so happy. It's I, so pretty. The artwork yes. is beautiful in print. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna make Drew read it because I, I think he would really like it too. I just haven't had a chance to show it to him. <laughs> um, and then I actually went and started digging up other webtoons that were based on other mythologies. So. You're down a rabbit hole. I love it. (laughs) All in. (laughs) Definitely. Of course, I have to say, Gordon, as always, how are you? You're here too. How are you you excited about mythology? I am excited about mythology. I'm excited to hear what everyone is, who I should say everyone is going to be talking about. Yeah, we're going to be talking about specific characters, specific storylines, morality, I, I really want to consider this like a deep dive, and I, I'm so excited because this is not your Disney's Hercules. This is no. like the real deal. And last but certainly not least, the newest person to join our group who is resonating with people, and I'm so happy to have him here. Dylan, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good today. I was really excited 
about the uh, topics we have lined up for tonight. So I'm excited too. And uh, so we're going to go with Carmen is going to be presenting first. And then Dylan, you might have a little something for us after she's done, which I'm excited for both. Um, I say we just get right into it because like I said, this could be a 30 part series and you know, <laughs> t- time is ticking by as we're talking. Right. So Miss Carmen lay it on us. We, we, uh, we know we're going to have some pronunciation issues on my part, especially, but let's get into your story. Yeah. So I'm actually not going to be talking about any gods specifically. I was going to touch on an ill fated family in mythology. Um, and that would be the story of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. See, I'm already starting with the mispronunci- mispronunciations. <laughs> See, I, it happens, it happens. So the story falls under um, the ill-fated family is uh, the house of Atreus, A-T-R-E-U-S. Um, I don't know if it's any correlation with the band Atreyu. We're going to pretend it's not. <laughs> my first thought. Right, my Love first thought band. too. When I, read, when I read the name, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like related. But I don't know. I didn't dive down that rabbit hole. So we're just going to stick with the Greek family. Um, the house of Atreus had uh, several ancestors that um, it's kind of one of those things where it's almost like the sins of the forefather have cursed the sins of the sons and daughters, but yet the sins of the sons and daughters are far worse than the sins of the forefather. Mm. Um, It starts with uh, Tantalus uh, is the original ancestor of this house. Mm. And you may have, you may be familiar with um, Tantalus. He's a a human who was actually kind of, I don't want to call him a demigod necessarily, but maybe that's the right word for it. He was a son of Zeus and a mortal woman. And the gods actually kind of respected him and revered him. But for some reason, he wanted to get back at the gods, some sort of revenge, which kind of seems to be the theme about this family is revenge. Um and Tantalus decided he was going to try to get back at the gods by killing his children, cooking them, and then serving them at a feast for the gods to eat. Um, right. I know. It's an ill-fated family. We're getting to the deep, dark stuff. This is not your Disney's Hercules mythology <laughs> 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 story, guys. This, this is podcast M.A. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Your discretion heavily advised. <laughs> right. So anyway, the gods kind of knew what was going on. Like as soon as the platters were put down in front of them, we're like, wait a minute, guys, this is not what I ordered. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm pretty sure that we wanted like ambrosia and nectar. I didn't ask for filet de sun. Um, <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> So the gods, uh, to punish Tantalus, and this is kind of maybe perhaps where you are familiar with Tantalus, is they decided to put him, obviously, in the underworld in Hades. And he is the person that is punished for every time he is thirsty, he's standing at a riverbed. And every time he tries to bend down and get a drink of water, the river waters rush away, thus leaving him forever thirsty. There is a fruit tree directly overhead. Every time he's hungry, he could just literally reach up and try to grab an apple. But every time he does, the fruit tree grows higher and higher and the fruit goes further away. So you get kind of the tantalizing word from his namesake, something that is glittering and gleaming, I think. That's where 
where that comes from, but he's forever thus um, hungry and thirsty. And he starts kind of like the curse in this family line. It does skip a generation or two. Um, and I'm going to kind of skip over those ones because they get really convoluted and confusing. And that's not the main point of my story. But that's basically where this this ill-fated house kind of begins is the sins of the father of Tantalus. And they somehow kind of wind their way down through the generations to Agamemnon and Clytemnestra, who are husband and wife. Agamemnon was a uh, Greek military hero, um, was a very prominent figure in the uh, Trojan War. No. Yes, yeah, Trojan War. Um, his brother, Coming through. King Menelaus, uh, Agamemnon's brother is King Menelaus, who was married to Helen of Troy, which thus created the whole entire Trojan War saga. Um, but but as everybody was getting ready to go to war, um, and this may be another myth that we could kind of talk about with the Trojan War, so to speak. Something was going on with the gods where they were kind of trying to prevent certain forces from coming and attacking because the gods kind of played sides during the Trojan War as well, too. And a lot of the Greek fleets were prevented by one of the gods or goddesses creating like this storm, this wind that wouldn't allow the Greek ships to um, float out of their harbors. So Agamemnon, in an effort to try and sway the winds on his side, did something that was quite unthinkable. And he decided to offer a human sacrifice to the gods and goddesses, specifically the goddess of Artemis, um, to see if that would help sway the winds on his side. And it wasn't just any human sacrifice that he decided to uh, give. He chose his eldest daughter to sacrifice. I know. Um, <laughs> spicy. So when, spicy. <laughs> Um, he didn't serve her as a, as, a, as a meal, but he did offer her as a human sacrifice to the goddess Artemis in an effort to get his boats to sail out of the harbor and thus get to the uh, Trojan War, to the front, so that he could be the Greek war hero. Um, little backstory is that, again, another myth we could possibly touch on is the gods and goddesses did not like human sacrifices. There is a whole thing with the myth of Prometheus around what the gods and goddesses would deem as a proper sacrifice to them to honor them and humans was not part of it um that was very taboo it was very anti what they wanted so the fact that he decided to give a sacrifice but not just any sacrifice but a human sacrifice is kind of a big deal like a big no-no um and the fact that a goddess kind of allowed it to happen is also kind of weird that's not something that you would typically see in Greek mythology is human sacrifices and then gods and goddesses kind of wanting human sacrifices. But at any rate, Agamemnon sacrificed his eldest daughter, Iphigenia, um, and then his wife, who was back home, Clytemnestra, obviously found out that her eldest daughter was killed by her husband um, and was not happy about it. So for the entire 10 years that the Trojan War was going on, and while Agamemnon was fighting on this battle during the Trojan War, Clytemnestra is back home, keeping up with the homestead, and just like most other Greeks, taking up a lover. Um, so she and her lover, Aegisthus, during this entire time, are plotting and planning and trying to come up with what kind of revenge they can do to get back at Agamemnon for taking the life of their child. 
when Agamemnon finally returns home. Um, he's none the wiser. He thinks he's this Greek war hero. Everybody loves him except for his wife. Um, so literally as soon as he walks in the door, says, hey, how you doing? She and her lover strike him down, kill him, and they think they are the greatest heroes of all time. They think that they have um, redeemed and avenged the death of their daughter, Iphigenia. The whole point of this story and the kind of the theme is revenge. And they don't see themselves as taking another life, but rather kind of taking justice in their own hands. And so they think themselves as heroes. And I think that's kind of what I like about this myth. And I'll kind of circle back to it. Mm-hmm. After Iphigen or after um, Clytemnestra and her lover Aegisthus strike down Agamemnon, um, they basically kind of imprison their next child, Electra. And luckily the son, Orestes, is able to escape or flee or leave the homestead. So he is free from their wrath, so to speak. Um, Electra, as the daughter, surviving daughter, now this family has her sister who has been killed by her father. Her father has been struck down by her mother. Her mother has a lover. Neither of them really show her any affection, any care. And she starts to kind of have this, I don't want to say unhealthy, but it's, a very estranged relationship with her mother where she's almost glorifying her father. And if you're familiar with the Oedipus complex, the Electra complex is a similar, but reverse gender roles. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so the Oedipus complex, as Freud kind of explained, is where a boy (laughs) has this unhealthy relationship with his mother or female figure in his life. Of course, it's Freud, so it's some kind of sexual relationship with the mother Mm -hmm. and a distrust, hate, really like not liking the male figure, father figure in his life. Electra is kind of the opposite. So it's a female who has this weird attachment to her father and a very unhealthy, estranged detachment to the mother. Um, So for many years, Electra suffers the abuse of her mother and her lover. And all this time, Orestes is growing up somewhere safe. Um, he's rap, like kind of trying to grapple with the fact of like, what do I do? It is my duty to honor my parents. I have to avenge my father's death. This is a time in um, you know, history where it is kind of the right thing to do. If, if somebody has wronged your family, you need to make that right. You need to try to earn back i guess is the word for it perhaps i'm not sure if that's the right word mm-hmm. atone maybe it's just yeah. seek some kind of you know retribution for your family that has been wronged but how do you do that when literally the person who wronged your family is your own mother so he's going back and forth with this like existential crisis of I have to avenge my father, but how do I do that? Because to avenge my father, I have to strike down his killer and his killer is my mother. But how do I do that? Because that's my mother. How do I dishonor my family like this? Right. It's it's horrible and terrible. Um, But eventually he kind of goes to the gods and is like, gods, tell me, what am I supposed to do? How do I handle this? Do I do nothing? Do I do something? What's the something I'm supposed to do? And he hears a message from Apollo and Apollo basically tells him, you got to do it. You got to go kill your mom. Um, So he and I think a cousin uh, after this is years later. So like he escapes 
Agamemnon dies and he like grows up outside of the house. So now he's like a teenager, let's say, mm-hmm. goes back with his cousin, breaks into the homestead um, and obviously strikes down his mother and her lover, Aegisthus. So he has atoned for his father's death. He has avenged his father's death by killing his mother. Um, and again, he's wrestling with this, just kind of grappling with like the weight of what he has done. And this is where the curse is broken because every single time somebody in the house of Atreus has sought revenge, has killed somebody, has murdered somebody in the name of avenging somebody else, they've never grappled with the weight of what they did until it came to Orestes. Um, So he, instead of, he would technically be the next male heir instead of coming into the homestead and taking over and ruling, so to speak, because I think Agamemnon may have been a king in his own right, if not a king, at least some kind of sovereign ruler, so to speak. But instead of Orestes doing that, which he would have had every right to do, it was his birthright. He left. He left his homestead. He didn't want to be in his hometown. He literally couldn't handle the weight of what he had just did. He knew he had to do it. The gods foretold him to do it. And he just could not handle that. He had guilt. And um, so he spent many, many years kind of like wandering, not really settling down anywhere. Again, still kind of wrestling with the weight of what he did. And because he kept wrestling with the weight of what he did, he eventually ended up at the, I think it was the Temple of Athena. I'll have to double check in my no- in my notes. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the Temple of Athena. And again, Apollo was like, hey, goddess, you know, I told him to do this. He needed to do this. Can you help forgive him? And her forgiveness of him was because of the fact that he wrestled with the guilt of his actions. He actually understood the weight of his actions. And he knew, although it was the right thing to do, he knew for every action there is a consequence. And the consequence was he had to take down his mother. Um, so because he felt that guilt and he was the first person in his entire family line to feel that guilt of their actions, she, goddess, forgave him and forgave the family line and thus broke the curse. Oh. And I think that's what I love the most about this story. And like kind of a little of Greek mythology too, and you guys can weigh in on this, is the Greek mythology stories have like two kind of overarching themes is the stories kind of fall into either they tell a tale of the natural world. Um, So they tell the tale of natural world, meaning like, you know, think about Persephone and Demeter Mm. and that myth tells, you know, why do we have winter? Why do our crops die? um, You know, when it gets cold outside or even like volcanoes, if you get into like the Hephaestus, you know, Um, there's, so there's myths about the natural world and the natural order of the world. And then there's myths about the nature of how we do things, kind of like a rules of conduct. And I think that's why this story is important. Um, so the House of Atreus and the reason that it's important is because it's rules of conduct. You don't offer human sacrifices to the gods. That's a rule of conduct. There are repercussions for your actions, no matter what it is that you do. Um, and you have to kind of take responsibility for your actions if you don't you could be cursed and doom your ancestors Mm -hmm. Uh, no i completely agree and this it speaks to what mythology was trying to do at large 
how do I say this? <laughs> the, it goes to it, it speaks to our modern day religion in the yeah. sense <clears throat> that whether you because I believe that we are a very diverse group of different theologies or non theologists or whatever you want to say, <laughs> but like whenever you whenever you look at religion or mythology, there is an underlying thing that is undeniable. Mm-hmm. They are teaching you a moral compass. They are, yes. The stories are teaching you whether you believe in Greek mythology, whether you believe in the Bible, whatever. Yeah. They are an underlying how to be a good person, uh, consequence versus action. That yeah. it, that's why I think I'm drawn to mythology, and I I totally understand where you're coming from, Carmen. Um, it's that story's a lot. It's a lot I, to take I, in. Yeah. I never knew the full length of it, to be quite honest. That's that's a new one to me. You know what's interesting, uh, Stephen, is too, when you kind of parallel with, you know, the Bible and having these stories of morality, I think what's really interesting and in stark contrast is the carnal primal uh, tones that are set in the, this mythology story. You yeah. know, you have, you know, uh, revenge, love, affairs, incest, incest yeah, murder, cannibalism. You know, yeah. I mean, this is, you have to think this is thousands of years or hundreds of years before the Bible. Yeah. Okay? Before. Yeah. You know, and, and see, this yeah. is a reflection possibly of how life was back then. Yeah. And I feel like it's an interesting glimpse into, you know. The brutality. The brutality, the how, you know, what life was reflecting into these stories at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've always looked at mythology and things like that as people's attempt to try to make sense of everything you just said and have a reasoning behind it because a lot of people struggle to get through daily life without having a reason they just can't accept things they have to question things so you yeah you come up with stories you daydream most of these probably started as a daydream of a scenario that happened to somebody and it just went from there but it made sense and and it it works and multiple people agreed with it so word of mouth of it spread which spread it even farther a lot of people just kind of stopped and went huh yeah that makes sense it spoke to the greater good right it spoke to being on the right side of the moral questions and the the like you said bob the brutality like these types of stories they spoke to the rights and the wrongs and i think that's what makes it so timeless is you can hear stories like that and yes greek mythology i do believe is very drastic in some of the the areas that they cover but like you said that gives you a glimpse into what they were dealing with at the time yeah i mean yeah. as as technologically advanced as i think the greek society was in some aspects it very much still had you know its own set of brutality horrors it was it was a very carnal society yeah you know at least in my view feeding into these emotions these urges and desires and it was just everyone acting in in pure passion so to speak yeah it was a very passion-filled um pantheon of gods that that was yeah that's the main striking point i've always found with greek mythology compared to just about any other ones is just the passion 
in every story about the gods or interaction with the gods or the the stories and the the will they're trying to get throughout. I feel like that's a good point because I, I was going to make a comparison with some of the other mythologies we've studied, but the more I was thinking about it, Greek mythology doesn't really, and and then it extends into Roman because yeah, um, they how close, yeah, alt delete, pretty much. Yeah. But um, <laughs> those two are it's kind of hard to compare them to a lot of the other mythologies properly because, like you said, they are so much more passionate in both the ups and the downs Mm -hmm. in all of their stories it doesn't carry over consistently in the other mythologies that i've researched you know what i think and you guys weigh in on this do you think that's because the greek and romans have more human elements to them so they display more like human emotions than some of the other mythologies do Mm. I think that's a very fair point because that's um, one of the other things I've noticed. A lot of the other, so I, I've done research into Egyptian and Norse are the other two that I, I've focused on myself. Yeah. Um, their gods tend to be more forces of nature. Right. And they, they don't, like they have human elements, but not nearly as strong as like the Greek gods are definitely more human elements who have control over the natural elements rather than natural forces that have human elements to them. Right. I could not have said that better myself. That is so, a, yes. Another <laughs> another um pantheon that is actually really close in that kind of human effect that I've studied would be the uh, Irish Druid pantheon. Okay. okay. For for them, it, they're a fantastic read and a really interesting story. Most of them started out as humans that just had such a strong connection to the earth that they attained godhood. Okay. Mm. Highly recommend checking them out. It's a fantastic um, pantheon, in my opinion. One of my favorites. Hmm. I never even thought to look into that one. I'll be honest, I've been I'm telling Irish you about a book series even... that about them. It's just... Ooh. <laughs> oh, is that the one that you and Tyler keep telling me I need to read? Iron Druid, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting a tattoo based off of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> right on. But well, yeah, so so that's the sum up. Mine is I know it's not really like a happy myth, um, but it wasn't necessarily a happy time at all the time, and I like this story because of its code of conduct, so to speak. It gives us a little glimpse into the, you know, the ancient Greeks and how they. A, worshipped their gods, what they thought of, you know, human sacrifice, whereas other religions did practice human Mm -hmm. sacrifice back then. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, like, that honor and duty and family and kind of, you know, where do you cross the line or draw the line when you have honor and duty family that is directly at odds with specific honor, duty, and family? Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of expanding on that point that you made and what Lizette was saying about how these gods, you know, are more human than another, well, that also lends them to be more flawed. And I think that that's kind of like the overarching theme there too, because, you know, you're, because everyday people do grapple with these things all the time. Yep. And they don't always make the right choices either. Nope. Mm -hmm. Humans or gods alike. So. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's what makes it very compelling, too, because sometimes, you know, not to get into like a 
theological. But, but a lot of these. That's uh, talking about religion and mythology is getting into theology. Exactly. You can't, you can't, you can't help, help but talk it. about it. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to tread lightly here, but I'm going to uh, bring it right back into mythologies. But I feel like a lot of these stories in the Bible, I mean, these, these um, players are held up in a very high regard is where in Greek mythology, it gets down and dirty. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, there's no, um, you know, there's, there's no, there's nothing being put behind the curtain. It's all out there. I mean, it mm-hmm. depends on what part of, like, if you want to compare it to, like, Christianity, like, the Old Testament is very dark compared to the New Testament. So Old Testament God was a very different kind of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Old Testament was very vengeful. I yeah. Also, I also find the original, like, stories and mythos for the Greeks before, for a lot of them, um, of the mainstream pantheons like Greek Norse and stuff like that before Disney and Pixar mm-hmm. got a hold of them and kind of just threw that lighthearted spin on them that a lot of people miss nowadays until they actually start reading about it. Mm-hmm. They were like, we've been saying they're all very real stories with real actions and meanings yeah. and lessons behind them. They're never black and white. They've always been very gray in my opinion. Yeah, because even the ones, even some of the gods that are painted as the villains nowadays in like more modern retellings, when you go back and look at the older translations and like some of the first recordings of these myths, they all have somewhat redeeming qualities. Like the the one that's coming to mind right now for me, just because I've been doing more research into Norse mythology is Loki. Mm-hmm who in a lot of more modern takes has been painted as the villain. Um, But in actual Norse mythology, yes, he was playing jokes on the gods because he thought it would be entertaining. But when stuff went bad, they would go to him for help and he would be like, oh, shoot, that's not how I actually wanted that to go. And he would help get them out of the trouble that he got them into. Do you know how many times he helped Odin out of Odin's trouble? Because Odin was the biggest problem in <laughs> Norse mythology. Yeah. Being able to see into the future and trying to decide his own thing messed up a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, but guys, when... oh. I'm sorry. Why is that? No, you go first. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, you see the more modern, like the Disney retellings and that kind of stuff. And they have Disney to have ruins a, everything. They have to have a clear cut villain, but that's not how they originally were. Oh, yeah. I think this is the perfect segue because when I come back, well, when we come back, excuse me, narcissist. <laughs> Steven just leaves. Bye, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of it for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to talk about how the Disney situation and the glue, how it basically our origin story on how we got into an interest in mythology. And I'm going to have the very basic one of Disney's Hercules. And I kind of want to touch base with everybody and like, what got you interested? What made you stay? And where was that stark difference between what was the media presenting versus what was the actual mythology? So I think we should take a quick ad break. And then when we come back, I think we should dive into that. Okay. Awesome. All right. I'll, we'll see you guys right after this. And we're back. So I really want to dive into what led us to our individual love of mythology. Some more than others. But I think as a collective, we all are kind of into it. 
I'm going to be the first one to say it. I have no shame in my game. I watched Disney's Hercules, and I think that is still one of the best Disney movies. I played Disney Sorcerer Arena on my iPhone, and I got Hercules on my team. I am obsessed with that movie. Megara's song was the best Disney love song in that 90s era. Sorry, Little Mermaid, move over. I was obsessed with that film. And so... What was really cool, though, is like I grew up with that. So I had a little bit of a, the basic fluff. I'm going to use it as that term. Mm-hmm. It was the prim, polished, Mickey Mouse, you know, approved. And then I had a teacher in school that was really into mythology and it was part of our English curriculum. And that's when I realized that, like, I grew up on a lie. You know, <laughs> it wasn't all Hercules and Pegasus bumping heads. It was like some real nitty gritty morality stuff. And probably because I'm a manic person, I was like, well, I have to read more about this because now I'm obsessed and now I have to figure out like, you know, how much of this do I relate to? And it was like, it was, it, Disney's Hercules truly spiraled me into this world of mythology and I'm thankful for it because I believe Dylan used the term, I don't want the black and white, I want the gray. And I love that expression because but yeah, to me, that's that's the truth. Like, as you grow up and as you get older, you realize there is no black and white. Even though as a kid, you're taught there's right and wrong. It's ambiguous. It's not all. And that Carmen, your story really encapsulated that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think that's anything in life. There's not a whole lot of black and white. There's a lot of gray area in everything we do. And I love that because it, it allows you to kind of expand your mind, expand put yourself in the character's shoes or the first person's perspective. And that's what really got me hooked on mythology. And I guess I just want to hear from you guys. What was your interlude into mythology? What got you hooked? What was like the thing that really kicked it off for you? Gordon, I got to ask, like, I know you're maybe not as heavy into it, but like, I know you're interested in it. So like, what was your, exposure what what happened with you um so mine's not nearly as uh glamorous as uh bowing down to the mouse and uh following it through there which although i i i probably watched uh disney's hercules more times than i can count when i was a bit younger because it was one of the only vhs's that i owned at the time yes i know what a vh vhs is for you, to Liza and uh, Steve, you know the dinosaurs in the group. Um, but I um really started getting into it honestly last summer. Uh, not not twenty twenty nineteen summer because uh Netflix rolled out a new TV show called Record of Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Which, if you haven't watched it. Without spoiling any, which I, honestly, it's been out long enough. So, it's um, the gods are gonna ha- have a Ragnarok tournament, which is pinning a god against a mortal, which sounds completely unfair. Is this the anime? Oh, yes, okay. Animes. Look, see, I, I, I prefer anime. the manga of it. This is the anime on Netflix, not the manga. I, I. 
manga, just saying. <laughs> yeah, the manga is always better, but my simple monkey brain likes watching the pictures move, so I don't have to read. Gordon. You can make the pictures move without monkey brain. I manage it with my ant brain. <laughs> but it was that sh- that show along with another one they came out with. I I'm blanking on the name of. It's some. It's some. A uh, TV show where, uh, surprise, surprise, the son of Zeus um, is uh, found by some god, is taken up to Olympus and trained in his powers. Uh, they there hasn't been a second season yet. Probably didn't get enough traction to get a second one. Is I'm that also? Is it. that also the anime? It, yes, it's on Netflix. I just don't know um, what it's called. Shoot, I started watching that one. Hold on a second. Is it I'll Blood Zeus? For you. Yes, it is yes. Blood of Zeus. Yeah, it is Thank Blood of Zeus. Not Zeus out there sleeping with somebody else's wife. <laughs> you know that yeah, he As a like goose, that's my favorite. Thing you come in, that's the first thing you come in on in the TV show, I'm pretty sure, is Zeus flying away from this house as an eagle and this woman being pregnant and having a child. I'm wrecking oh, so Harlot. They stole the same thing from um they have that scene in a live-action movie, and I can't remember the name of it. It's going to bother me now. I'm going to be quiet now. Um, in, I mean, stole it from every other time. Zeus flies into someone's house, fucks the wife. Um, he did it as a goose once. Swan. I don't think or, I the Swan. That, it's close. He was a swan. That was with Le- Leto or Lita? I think he was All Lita. I he was a I bird. Lita. <laughs> yeah. He was a bird. He was a scound, scound dog or hound dog. Yeah. Excuse me. That's that to be a more accurate depiction. Yeah. And not to have my little rant about TV shows go on a little too long. Um, what I'm currently watching now, another anime. Um, it's called Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? No, true. Do you no. Now, sir, now I've sir. seen this a hundred times. It, it, it's about mortals be go, joining from familias of gods to gain, um, superhuman, I guess, reflexes and abilities to uh, be able to fight in this dungeon and make money for the familia that they are part of. The main character is a white-haired Nick kid, and at the very last episode, you hear Hermes say very proclaim loudly to himself but he is speaking out loud that zeus your grandchild is just as great as i thought he would be so again oh another anime where zeus's fucking grandchild or <laughs> child is the main character but this time only one person knows that it's zeus's grandchild and i don't know how to feel anymore because it seems like every single thing i watch it's always something with zeus fucking someone and it being his issue it's always his issue. It's never anyone else's. It's always well, his. Well, isn't think... his familiar Hestia? The um... his, his, his familia is Hestia, which happens to be the familia of Zeus, or a related familia of Zeus. She's one of the um, virgin goddesses that um, yeah. is of hearth and home. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure, um, in the lore of this TV show, at least, they were that familia was either at one point a part of or allied with the familia of Zeus, mm. which doesn't exist in this show right now, probably because Zeus had more important things to do and by things, people. 
and ruining <laughs> women um, to be exact. Yeah, and ruining <laughs> people's lives. Uh, he did a couple guys too, who don't. All I can hope is that Hera is somewhere right now in a moo wine drunk, smoking a pack of Newports and collecting <laughs> these child support checks. Like that, that, that's the best I can hope for her. <sighs> she wasn't a saint either, though. No, none of them are. None of them are. <laughs> With, okay, so let's move on to Lizette. Why don't you tell me what made you fall down the rabbit hole of mythology and why you're here today? So I have a couple different things that led to it, but the first thing that I, the first um, introduction I remember having to mythology was when I was in, so I had the third or fourth grade. I was, no, you were born. You're just too young to remember. That's why I told you. <laughs> it's been bugging me. Okay. <laughs> all of your guesses were wrong. Be quiet. Um, so I was in the um, gifted and talented program. In elementary hey, school, too. where I, <laughs> I, I thought, wasn't, I thought you were in a special ed program. Oh, were those are those different? Yeah, <laughs> they changed their names. Dang it! Oh my goodness. Um, but anyway, so I got pulled out of class twice a week, and the teacher for this there was only seven, seven or eight of us in this class that we got pulled out for, um, and she gave us addition. I don't. One of you is laughing at me right now. I know it. Um, but she gave us additional like material to learn because we were homework. <laughs> yeah, homework. It's but higher we got, learning. We, we got more projects and everything. And one of the units she did with us was actually Greek mythology. Now, mind you, we were in elementary school, so it was highly edited. Mm-hmm. It was Disney yeah. fluff, I'm sure. It, it wasn't I quite think Disney. It was more it, than Disney. It, fluff, it, to it be actually it, it actually wasn't quite Disney fluff. Like you, we knew that none of them were 100% good or bad guys. We actually did learn that. Oh, cool. Um, This would have been, it was after Disney's Hercules came out, but we didn't watch it in class. Like she actually taught us, she found um, books that were written appropriately for our age group, but that were the actual myths. Mm. And um, part of our projects in this class, I have to go to my dad's house and see if I can find this. Um, we each had a blank VHS tape that we had to take to class with us and our projects, she made us do, um, video projects for everything. So my, she partnered us up for Greek mythology. We each picked a myth and we wrote out a little script based on the myth and we acted it out. And I actually have a recording of me and one of my friends doing, um, the myth of Pandora. Hmm. And so it's only about five minutes long, if that. Um, but so that, that was my real introduction to Greek mythology. And then going from that, um, I always, my mom and I always really liked Egyptian culture. So, and we did watch the mummy and a bunch of stuff like that as I got older. So I started learning more about Egyptian mythology, but I always had that love for Greek and Roman mythology. So when like the Percy Jackson books were coming out, I read some of those, I got really into a bunch of different retellings. I, I was always reading new myths and like any of the books that I could find in the school library, I was reading those. Uh, and it's gotten to where actually myself and um, one of our other cousins, Delaney, we have a couple more recent retellings of Greek myths that we've bought. So like there's a, a book that came out a few years ago by Madeline Miller about Circe. 
that I highly, highly recommend. It was a really, really nice twist on those myths. Um, there's a book about Ariadne that's come out that I don't have yet. I'm currently rereading the Percy Jackson series because I've just all of our discussions has got me in a really heavy Greek mythology mood. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's just a bunch of stuff like that. And then there were some other TV shows and um, different books that I came across when I was young that I learned some more stuff from. But my initial interest was definitely piqued by um, Mrs. Hudson in third grade. So can we just have like a moment of applause for educators? Because like, Yes. Here you are all these years later, and her impact is still relevant in your life. Yeah, absolutely. In more ways than just that. Like some of the other subjects that she taught us really stuck with me as well. That's awesome. You, you can't beat a good teacher. This yep. Let's Be Nerds is a, well, we stand teachers in Let's Be Nerds. Anyway, <laughs> Lizette, if you are good, I'm going to ask yep. Bob. Bobby, what, what, I know you're kind of into it, but like, what was your first experience with mythology? <clears throat> My first experience with it was probably Clash of the Titans, maybe. Fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, but honestly, um, it wasn't uh, any type of real inter- interest until, you know, I met Carmen and it really, I think anyone that's been in a relationship knows when you're into somebody, you want to be into what they're into. And that's something that she was always really passionate about at that time. She was planning out um, her half sleeves where she was getting the uh, Greek gods and goddesses and um, monsters, uh, getting them mapped out for the arm. And she was telling me the story behind, you know, each of these characters and why she was picking them, you know, and then uh, you kind of just get captivated by the stories so, you know, it's just one of those things where now it's, it's, it's a mutual interest. And she knows far more than I do. And she speaks uh, so intelligently about all of it. So I just kind of, you know, take it all in. And then I add my comments and, and draw parallels where I can. And uh, it, it's just awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I want to see that sleeve so bad. I know. I, Carmen, I hate to be that guy, but can you? We we have like been dropping tattoos. Like I don't have any, but everybody else has we been dropping that, tattoos. Steven. And I, I'm I can't commit to anything besides my job and my podcast. I, I, I can't commit to a relationship or a tattoo. <laughs> you you're afraid of needles for real? Oh, I have a terrifying like. You know, I hate them. See, I have commitment issues. So we're on different ends yeah. of the spectrum, but I don't know. No, you're not alone in that either. But hey. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really, really interested to see how your half sleeve turned out, Carmen, because I think the first time you and I met, you showed me the um, the sketch for it. Yeah. I remember. I was, t- yeah, right around the time that I was just kind of planning it. So yeah. I kind of gave him, uh, on my left arm, I have the monsters, and I kind of gave him free reign. I said, the only one I want to do for sure is Medusa. Other than that, have at it with any other Greek monsters. Here's a book to go off of. So he gave me um, Medusa's kind of like right on the outside of my bicep. So like if you're looking at me from the side, you're going to see Medusa giving you her stony glare. Um, and then I've got a harpy, and I've got Charon, the ferryman, who will okay. take your soul to the underworld. Um and then on my right arm, I have the gods and goddesses, and I have them, like, in specific <clears throat> scenes interacting with each other. So I have Hades and Persephone on my underarm. So that's, like, more on, like, my inner arm. Mm-hmm. 
I have that there for a special reason, um, <laughs> because I keep that near and dear to my heart. It'll play into why I got into mythology in the first place. Um, yeah, so I keep that one close to my chest because that's my favorite myth is Hades and Persephone. Then I have on my bicep. So like, again, if you're looking at me from the side, you'll see Zeus, Hera and Aphrodite. Mm -hmm. um, and then coming up on my shoulder, my back arm is uh, Athena and Ares fighting. Okay. The, um, I think the artwork that you showed me was the Zeus, Hera, and Aphrodite. That was all that I knew that you were looking at getting at the time. Yes. I've got... So I'm super excited to see this. We need pictures have, in the chat. Yes. The <laughs> way I have it positioned. So on my underarm, uh, I'll show the pictures in the chat. I've got Hades and Persephone holding hands, but I have Persephone kind of looking up and away, not at Hades, but up and away, and her eyes are locking eyes with Hera. And again, that plays into the myth because Hera um, helped kind of save Persephone in a sense um, from the underworld. Huh. Okay. And then I also have Hera looking sideways so that it's showing off her peacock feather earring, which again mm -hmm. is another myth into Hera. Yes. We love this. Well, I stand in this. I don't mean to stop you, but I was purposely saving you for last for <laughs> what brought you into mythology because I thought you would bring us home. So I don't. We're gonna put a pause on that. I'll put Dylan, a pause on that. <clears throat> Dylan, I want to hear why you got into mythology, and then we're gonna jump to Miss Carmen. So when I was growing up, and I reminded Liza of these books just moments ago, when I was bugging her to figure out what she had. <laughs> I'm gonna drop them in chat. I know you. Uh, I know Bob and Carmen can't see it because it'll do weird things. Right. I had a couple books. Is it the gold? That the gold I had gotten <laughs> the, the gold Egyptian. Yeah, yep. Things. So there was the mythology one and the, the monsterology. I had the Egyptian one too. I just didn't find a picture. You didn't have the one. Egyptology one. Oh, no, okay. I had dragon, monsterology, had. and mythology. I read the Egyptian one. I think someone else had it. It was me. But I think you ripped one of my pages and I got mad at you. You were always <laughs> mad at me. Besides the point, carry on. You're old. Um, <laughs> always with the age shaming. <laughs> of course. It's all I've got. Okay. <laughs> But it, in all honesty, it's the monsters and the creatures and the beasts and mythology that really got me into it that I love hearing about. Because it was always interesting to see someone's imagination so well mm -hmm. accepted by so many people. Because I've always had an active imagination. So I'll just sit there and run through random scenarios in my head going, well, this would be fun. Da, 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 da. Imagining weird creatures and beasts. Lizette could probably remember my really weird drawings that weren't very good I half the time. <laughs> I saved all the ones you gave me. Pics in you chat. Saw, I don't even remember that. <laughs> you, might, you might, you know, you might have given me pictures of the dogs. I don't know if you gave me any monster pictures. I'll have to look. But and then Percy Jackson really solidified my love for it, for mythology and seeing it in a modern time, because I think Lizette. You got me hooked on that. It might have been Gabrielle was the one who got a hold of those first, honestly. Yeah. 
because oh wait a minute was it was it me or was it mr hicks because mr hicks is the one who got you guys reading them mr hicks had me reading Redwall. oh okay he had gabriel reading percy jackson so i don't yes, know i think percy jackson had just come out when um gabby made it there uh, okay yeah um and then another thing that really made me want to look at and learn more about mythologies is the game smite Ooh, that's a good game Lizette's husband would know all about it, but it's basically... He's in bed. It's like 14, 15 different um, pantheons from multiple. They've got the Chinese, the Japanese, Greek, Roman, Norse. They've started throwing in some voodoo characters. They've even kind of um, took creative takes from the Arthurian legends as well, the Arthurian mythology. If you think about that, that has a rich history too. That's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. But it was, it was mainly video games and books. I like that. I, I, I'm getting the feeling that throughout this, everybody kind of has been brought in on somewhat different elements. It's, it's cool to see how mythology has encompassed so much of media and culture that almost every one of us has a different tie-in or uh, source mm-hmm. to lead us into where we are right now. Yeah. I have to ask, Miss Carmen... The, the one with the tattoos. The one. The girl with the tattoos. I, I, I need to know. I need the, girl the, with the dragon tattoo. I need the origin story. So, just sort so, um, this is definitely before Disney came out with Hercules because I'm that old. When I was in sixth grade, um, again, it's an educator, it's a teacher, Mrs. Booth. We learned about Greek mythology, and one of the things we did at the end of that cycle was we put on a class play and our class play was Persephone and Demeter and in an effort of being fair our names were drawn out of a hat and then as our names were drawn out of the hat we got to choose who we wanted to be in the play Um, and mine was the first name drawn and I was very shy back then I didn't want to have like a big role so I was like oh I'll play the chorus and uh my teacher was like, no, you're not going to play the chorus. You're, you're going to have a character, so we're going to make you Persephone. Um, so I got to be the lead in the class play, just kind of like by sheer luck, because my name got drawn first. Um, but that play I absolutely fell in love with. And like I kind of mentioned with the webtoons, is it didn't really sit right with me that why why were they the only couple that stayed together and they didn't have extramarital affairs? Like they were devoted to one another. So the play again, watered down because it was for, you know, a sixth grade class or, you know, uh, elementary school, middle school classroom. So it, it maybe was kind of fluffy in a sense, but not really. Cause it played Persephone is a damsel in distress, and I didn't really like being a damsel in distress. I don't think she would have been a damsel in distress, mm-hmm. especially not like as queen of the underworld. Um, <laughs> <laughs> later that year, my school ended up closing. So as the school was closing, uh, some of the other teachers were kind of like giving away, uh, you know, books and things that they have from like their classrooms. Um, and another teacher in the school knew how well I did in the play and knew how much I liked the Greek mythology. And she said, here, I want you to have this book. And so she gave me a book called The Immortal by Christopher Pike. And it's a young adult book. Um, I loved it. And it's not really a 
it's not a retelling of any kind of Greek myth, but it's rooted in Greek mythology. And it's a very interesting story where essentially two girls who are best friends in modern times have this tie-in with ancient Greek mythology and history where they are basically the spirits of ancient goddesses that were at war with one another, like a, a, an internal struggle battle and their spirits got shoved into mortal girls um, and they grew up best friends, but they're really actually mortal enemies. Hmm. What is that, that called? Sounds interesting. Yeah. It's a very good book. It's a really good book. Really like the premise of it, again, it's a young adult book. So it's, it's, um, it's older. It was written in 1993 by Christopher Pike. It's called The Immortal. It's old. Name sounds but... so familiar. It does. <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> I the hear the keyboard. Says, hear... Um... <laughs> Everyone's looking it up. Sorry. Right? People the overview says Josie is on vacation in Greece with her father, his new girlfriend, and her best friend. While visiting the sacred island of Delos, she accidentally stumbles upon an ancient artifact, a tiny statue oh, of a goddess. Immediately, Josie is enchanted by the statue and takes it with her when she leaves the island. And that um, tiny idol ends up being the idol of her as the goddess. And she doesn't realize that until the very end. Spoiler alert. Um, I, I'm looking at the paperback cover for it. Oh, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's an old book. It's yeah. an old book. <laughs> you the, do you see the price for it on Amazon? For paperback? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, how much is it? Uh, for the original Oh, wait, which one are you? $864. What? what? I have more? it upstairs in my bookcase, guys. <laughs> if you, if you want to buy it, it's like, it's it, guys, it, it says it, it says it's new. It's, they're new, brand new ones. There's one on here that's they have listed for over $1,000. Oh, oh, my goodness. My no. So I'm looking at some mass reprints for a paperback that says 1214. <laughs> I found the one I'm getting. There's 11 of them used for 235 <laughs> <laughs> Okay, hold on. Let me go, let me go we're talking uh, about revisit books, this. One of the reasons that I wanted to talk about my myth with Agamemnon and Clytemnestra is there is a modern book out, which is a modern retelling of that story. It's called House of names i haven't started it yet i mean i officially just started it but i'm literally only 10 pages in um but if you're interested in in reading i would be more than happy to book club this one as soon as i finish it <laughs> we're gonna start also, a tuesday book club episode i'm loving right? <laughs> by the way yeah uh, but isn't it cool like how there's like all these greek myths that now like we're finding out about and their retellings but in our world, they make a little bit more sense to us, and it's still relevant all these yeah, years later. Exactly, it, the story still applies, and so many writers have found it incredibly easy to apply it to real life. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's the beautiful thing about theology, mythology. the The concept of the story is there, and it can be reapplied and reused and repurposed for any era. And yeah. It's, be it's a beautiful thing. It, it really is. And I'm addicted. It makes me moist. Okay, <laughs> well, I think we just ruined it. I hate that okay. word so much. Thank Why does everyone hate everyone. that word? You don't like a moist cake? Nothing no. tells me I need to go what? to the like. outro like the word moist. <laughs> yeah, you said it, not me. The word moist is great because it makes everyone uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't... I don't why? I don't know. That's, is there babies? 
that's a whole nother episode probably They're like that's benjamin a, probably Button an hour-long podcast discussing discussing why that word's awful it's because they're oh, <laughs> anyway i love this episode i am excited for part two uh dylan i believe you're gonna be kicking us off in that one with a story and we're gonna keep on going with mythology and I don't know about you guys. How's everyone feel? I I loved I love this, and I think it's a good direction we're heading. Yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. I can go for six hundred episodes of this. I know. Right. Are we now a mythology podcast? <laughs> no, we're just we're at, not about mythology right now. That's all. And you know what? Maybe it'll be like a little special that we can start doing on the side. We have a lot to um, discuss, and <laughs> I guess I just want to say to those of you listening, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for uh continuing to support this podcast in the last two to three weeks with the episodes we've released the support has been awesome and i i speak for everybody i don't want to but i think i can when i say that we all appreciate it and um the best part about this is with us doing it through anchor if you're listening on the anchor app you can actually correspond with us you can send a voice memo in to us the production team, myself, Lizette, Gordon, we will see it. We'll be able to implement your questions or your feedback or even just commentary into the next episode. So please take advantage of that feature. It's what separates Anchor from a lot of the other podcast hosting apps. Um, I also want to encourage everyone to join our Discord server, and we also have a subreddit. Um, what you see on this show is... What, what we're trying to convey is a community and like-mindedness, and I think you get a better grasp of that when, the, when you're on the Discord or when you're on the Reddit because you realize that you're part of a community. And right now, that's really important. And to speak candidly, this is something that's really been beneficial to me is to kind of realize that you're not alone in your fandoms and your nerddoms and that this is truly as much as it's a buzzword this is a safe space this is somewhere where you can talk passionately about what you care about and not be admonished for it and be appreciated and we're in a really dark time right now i think uh if you're whether you're reading the news or you're avoiding the news or seasonal depression is setting in I really want to encourage everybody to just to join our community and know that this is a safe place to land. And I think this is the direction we're heading. And I want everyone to feel welcome here. We are stopping the gatekeeping of the term nerd. We're proud to be nerds. And we want you to be proud of your fandom and your nerddom as well. Uh, we, if you're listening on Spotify, we have community polls up. Uh, the question for this episode is going to be, what is your favorite Greek mythology tale and what, or what got you into Greek mythology? Please let us know what's going, like, tell us about it. Um, I guess it would be more of a question than a poll. We read all of them. We will we'll feature the best ones. We really are trying to build a community here and I am excited to be a part of it. And I am so excited to have such a wonderful panel of people with me as we create and build this environment with that being said i also want to thank anchor for sponsoring this podcast without them it would not be possible if you like what we're doing here and you have a group of friends similar to ours and you want to start a podcast go through anchor they could not be more accommodating and i guess 
with that, I think we're done for mythology part one, and we'll see you in the next one. Gordon, Lizette, are you guys as excited about the New Year's Eve special as I am? You know it, Steve. I mean, I know me and Drew are excited. We're both going to be there, and I think, Dylan, you're going to be there too, aren't you? You bet your shiny gold buttons I'll be there. <laughs> Guys, do you know who else? Carmen, you're, you are coming. I don't, I'm so excited. Yeah, me and Bobby wouldn't miss it for the world. So this is going to be our first time doing a live event. And people that are listening can actually come in, join the chat. They can join in on a microphone or through text chat. And they can actually be a part of it. This is like the best way to end season one. I lost my left shoe no, thinking about it. <laughs> Knock your socks off. And I didn't even have those shoe. on in the first place, so just the shoe. <laughs> just the shoe. What time is this going to start at? So we're looking at, because obviously we have to celebrate midnight. So we're thinking around 10 or 10.30. We're going to have more details to follow. So this is really important. If you want to be a part of our New Year's Eve special, you have to get on Discord or Reddit. You have to be a part of the community to be on. I, I can't explain how excited I am for us to be live. We're going to take your chats. You can join in on the call. Tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like. This is going to be the most interactive we've ever been with anybody. It's so exciting. But Gordon, do you know what the real thing is? Is they have to have green room. Can you tell they them about green room? have to have green room. Green Room is a lovely addition to Spotify where we are able to go live and just be able to record with all of you guys listening in. You guys can ask to speak with us. You can join us. You can join in the live chat through the whole thing. We can bring you on so you can share your opinion on our podcast or just your opinion on some random BS like we love to do on our podcast and just chill with us all night. And Liza, do you know what the best part is? If you are you a listener to Spotify? Yes. If you have a Spotify account, you can just download the Green Room app and immediately create an account. How easy is that? Oh, okay. So it just ties into the account that you already have for Spotify. Exactly. It's perfect. It's going to be like a two-second download process and then a two-second sign-in process. Okay. Carmen. I don't know about you, but I would really think that it'd be cool if some of our listeners would like either join in on the voice chat or through text and tell us New Year's resolutions. Are you big on New Year's resolutions? Not so much on uh, resolutions, um, but I just love being with friends and family. And I think it would be a great time to have uh, more of our friends and family who are listening be a part of this so that uh, we get to hear from everybody. And what's a better way than celebrating the new year? Than to start off with a group of friends that are all on the same page. Exactly. Dylan, I, I can't wait. Are you excited? I am. Like I said, I lost my I lost my left shoe and I think the cat took the right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I should hopefully you're... find it in time. If not, like you said, I can join through Reddit or I can join through the Discord. I can't wait. Well, I will see you guys all there and everybody listening. We hope to have you be a part of our special night. It's the season one finale. If you're enjoying the Let's Be Nerds podcast, please come join us and let's kick off the new year together and safely and social distance and just kind of be a part of a group where everybody's welcome and everybody's accepted. Hope to see you there.
Let's Be Nerds is hosted and executive produced by Gordon Bryant and me, Stephen J. McLean. Let's Be Nerds is a production of Speakeasy Productions. Our social media manager is Kylie Gregg. Our managing producer and co-host is Lizette Ayala. Today's guest host was Robert Van Jacobs. You can follow him on all social media platforms at Bobby Dub Music. To keep up with the latest on Let's Be Nerds, join our Discord server linked in the description box below. Follow us on Instagram at Let's Be Nerds Pod or find us on Twitter at Let's the Letter B Nerds. Thank you.